Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV Navigator for May 2013. And this is Martha the Co-Pilot talking to you live from our lavish at-home studio. We've been home three whole weeks and we're getting ready to leave again. (laughs) Oh, so this is being made just a bit early because we will be sailing during the month of May off to Fort Lauderdale and then we sail across the Atlantic, our first uh, easterly crossing, and then we head to Copenhagen and to Russia. Northern Europe. Northern Europe. England, Ireland, Germany, France. Well, and then the Scandinavian Holland. countries. Right. So that'll be a, a fun trip, and probably next month we'll be dominated by that uh, exciting adventure. Even though it's not very RV, we will be keeping our eyes open for RVs, RVs on and the all sea. These places. <laughs> Well, Well, we consider cruising to be next to RVing. And and maybe we'll meet some RVers on the cruise. That's Uh, happened before. Yes, that's right. Cruising is just RVing on steroids. That's what you always say. I always say. So So our travel plans find us making this podcast a bit too early and could likely mean that the next podcast will be a bit late. But rest assured. No, we're home at the end of May. We get home on on Memorial Day. We'll be home, but we may not be coherent. We will be very coherent. We will be recording at 3 a.m. That's when right, we get on the up. flight on the way home, <laughs> yes. <laughs> we are, of course, planning exciting RVing adventures for later on, but, you know, we just came back uh, from our winter adventure, which turned out to be quite an adventure. This year we didn't really make many plans in terms of what we were going to do, but it turned out to be an exciting adventure, I think. And that's a wonderful thing. Yes. You have things in the back of your mind, things you've heard about, things people tell us, but exactly how they were all going to come together. I love this whimsical way of traveling uh, and deciding by the weather and by what things cost and by what we've heard, where to go next and how long to stay there. No reservations. No reservations. Right. It's a wonderful thing. We did leave you in Kanab last time. Moab. Moab, sorry. Uh, and we were just about to leave for home. We did make it home. I was a little upset because we left a little early, but the co-pilot was insistent that we... That I needed three weeks at home before we left again. <laughs> now, why in the world would you need three weeks at home? Well, and the weather here has been so dismal. Well, I'm wondering the, that myself. Well, that's the thing. We left Moab, and it was, oh, very nice, 80 degrees. And I remember it was the, the midst of the, of the Jeep Safari weekend. It was Easter weekend, which is not the best weekend to drive. And so our first day, we went from the 80s of Moab, and we had to cross over into uh, Colorado and uh, over to Denver was our plan. Ah, boy, we have not driven Interstate 70 in quite a few years, and that trip across Colorado into Denver is quite a trip. It's a wonderful road. You really have to admire the engineering of it, but you got to get through the Rockies somehow, and it's a challenge no matter what route you take. And this road is high, and as it turned out, uh, we came across snow, and it was getting cold, and we were at 10,000 feet 
feet, which yeah. is a lot for an expressway. And people were skiing right alongside people the expressway. People were skiing right along, yeah. Unfortunately, though, we made it across there in pretty good time. The motorhome was uh, huffing and puffing, but that big diesel really it did it. Is, uh, does a good job, and I didn't really feel like we were testing it too much. We won't talk about Going the Going 40 miles mileage. an hour uphill. <laughs> Chucking the dollar bills out yeah, the window. Oh, yeah. So we made it across uh, with cold weather, and then, boy, it just got cold. Well, and it was a struggle to find yeah. places to stay. Uh, the the plain states yes. are not populous in the best of times, and the campgrounds that there are aren't open yet. Um, we tried to stay at one, <laughs> which kind of was of open, but the guy was repairing his electricity, and uh, it was a challenge to find somewhere to stay. Uh, the last night we well, stayed in a campground which had functioning electricity. <laughs> in, in it. But no management was why there. Why did we stay only three hours from home? Because we were stopping once again in <laughs> Moscow, Iowa, to attend to our beloved Jacks. Ah, well, that was the whole scheduling of this trip was based on being in Moscow, Iowa, on April first for the scheduled appointment. Yes, for the scheduled appointment, where we went to HWH, the Jacks did work a couple of times. Well, they didn't work when you pressed the button. They didn't work when the junior tech pushed the button. <laughs> but they did work when the senior tech pushed the button. This is the problem. And as annoyed and aggravated as I am about the situation, yes. I can understand where they are having trouble diagnosing exactly what is wrong because it's so fluky. Right. Uh, so they put in another part, which, I, you know, throwing parts at a problem is, I don't know, especially when they're expensive, is not really all that good of a deal. But the thing I think that we have decided and I've read since is that having a very good ground for your jack system, and apparently the independent front suspension systems cause problems with positive grounding. That's an electrical ground. So I had them run a new strap so that the whole pumping mechanism was well grounded uh, to the chassis because this on and off, the starting and stopping and the intermittent is just too hard to, to diagnose. The way I see it at this point, we have virtually a new jack system <laughs> because we have bought pieces piecemeal every time we've stopped and gotten a repair. So we virtually have a brand new system at this point. Uh, so you think. <laughs> But you will find out that that come next spring or oh. oh wait, wait, it is spring. Come next fall when we tr when we head off again. When I push the button and it doesn't work. No, to, I'm very confident. When we that, get to the third campground, yes, it won't work. Yes, but. Uh, it worked in our driveway. From HWH, we came directly home, so we didn't really have a chance to, to use it because it was so cold. It was just uh, not a very nice weather, and it has been cold ever since then. And I am very glad that you pressed to get us home three weeks early because... <sighs> Look at the snow they yeah, had we and would've... the rain yeah. and the bad weather. Yeah. I always think a little bit later and it'll be a little bit nicer in the spring. And This has been a crazy year weather-wise. We have survived. I was planning on... Uh, fixing up the motorhome and cleaning it, cleaning it and stuff, but, but that when it, just hasn't When it happened. doesn't get above 50 degrees and it's raining most of the time, Great. you just are not in the mood. So it'll be cleaned when we get back. In June, it should be warmer. <laughs> Gee, do you really think so? I'm not really all that positive. So we are glad to be home and glad that the RV made it without any trouble with this uh, winter, and we hope that we'll have uh, working jacks when we go out to use it again. 
It's nice to have jacks. I'm dubious. You're dubious. Oh, I should mention, we are happy with HWH. They were very attentive. They leaped into action as soon as we got there. Spent three hours working on our situation and and didn't charge us. After listening to our story, they didn't charge us anything. Didn't even charge us for the new part that they put in, which was a couple hundred dollars, and for the strap. And So we do feel we walked out of there without having to pay anything. So I I think HWH is trying to fix it. And I'm very glad that we stopped at the factory again because we would have had to wait for them to ship the solenoid or whatever they put in the valve thing that they put in and that would have just uh, taken more time so stopping at the factory is a good idea if you do have the time so we want to thank uh, all of our listeners for sending us uh, nice comments uh, one i do want to mention in a specific it's from mike rubio Rub- rubio 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 Mike R. (laughs) For sending us uh, a nice email about uh, our GoPro. Uh, I remember last time I was talking about the GoPro and how much fun I was having taking pictures with it and how surprised I was that the GoPro was as much fun as it is. And I've shot uh, lots of nice time-lapse pictures with it. But he mentions that uh, there is another product from a company called Swan. And I'll put the link, of course, up on the webpage. Uh, This camera is the same specs as the GoPro but costs half as much. And I noticed that it has an LCD screen on the back, which would be convenient. Although I've had a good time using the GoPro app with the GoPro because the GoPro app lets you control the GoPro remotely and gives you a view of what's on the screen. It works with Wi-Fi, which is very cool. The new GoPro actually has Wi-Fi built in, and you link up your iPhone with the app and the camera and the display on your iPhone then is uh, a picture of what the GoPro is looking at. As you might guess, my beloved husband is fond of wearing (laughs) nerdy-looking photographic vests with a multitude of pockets. Oh, really? And he had me cut a hole in the pocket of one. No use for the GoPro. I finished it off with a buttonhole stitch. And so he will be wandering around Europe. So if you see me at at an RV show, I'm probably taking your picture. You'll probably get arrested for spying. Spying? Yes. Ooh, cool. Yes. So I'm going to have this little lens hanging out of my pocket. No one will notice. No, I Velcroed it into the pocket of my vest so that I can just put it on, time-lapse, and shoot pictures as I walk around. Very nerdy. Nerdy? That doesn't sound like me at all. Well, we may as well go on to the nerdy birthday present. Oh, yes. What, you, what you, did you buy me? <laughs> A Pico projector. You've been wanting one for a long time. Yes. We bought a Pico projector. A Pico projector is a small video projector that you can hook up to your iPhone, your iPad, your computer. You can use it to project the picture onto the wall or screen. Small enough to fit in a purse. Now, you were surprised. Yeah, it's gotten smaller. since. Not gotten smaller. This thing is, how big is this? started looking at. Maybe four decks of cards. Battery-operated. Extremely bright, yeah, 90 lumens, but not a super high-definition picture, but it will project, project a 60-inch picture, and it gets an hour and a half on battery, and it all fits in the palm of your hand. So hopefully on our cruise ship, we will find a blank wall somewhere where we can and, try it out. And when we go RVing, there have been many times that we would like to show or share pictures with uh, fellow Oops, RVers, yeah. and it, this is a way that you can pull out your projector and... Shine it on a wall and on the side of the RV. On a white RV. On a white RV, right, of which there are many, and share the pictures. 
because it hooks up to virtually any computer through HDMI. So you can hook up a DVD player, or you can hook up whatever you got that has an HDMI out. And it has a one-watt speaker. Happy birthday to you. And they're reasonably priced. And the co-pilot loves it. Well, I will probably love it once I get to use it. All right. Can you use it? Why not? Well, do you feel technically... uh, No, I'll just have you hook it up. (laughs) Jeez. Yeah, I probably could use it. Okay. It didn't look too tricky. Didn't look too tricky? No. Just plug it in. Okay. Battery operated, so you don't even have to plug that in. Okay, so that'll be fun. And that's uh, It runs on uh, super bright LEDs, which is neat. So LEDs are noted for, well, and we talked about the hit lights that we installed, and this is just uh, hit lights that are aimed at a screen. And the hit lights have been a great hit. He also put some in our, <laughs> in our house. kitchen I'm, in the house. I'm hitting our house. <laughs> <laughs> and those are the strips. Uh, look back a couple episodes, and uh, you'll see the hit lights that we installed in the RV. And around home, you have to get a 120-volt to 12-volt power supply. So I had to do that, and that adds a little bit of expense. But they're 15 feet of LEDs on a strip with stick them on the back, and you can stick them around and then power them up with uh, any sort of 12-volt power supply. Very small and unobtrusive and put out a lot of light. One of the things I did find out is that each strip is about the same as a 30-watt light bulb, which is actually quite a lot of juice, but the 300 LEDs per 15 feet, so I put in three or four strips around the house. <laughs> and you're not Our done. house will be all back. You're not done yet. <laughs> and I ain't done yet. <laughs> right. I've even got some great things for the RV to do, too. <laughs> Another thing we bought quite a while ago, uh, actually at the beginning of the winter, that we didn't talk about was our replacement for the electric blanket, electric blanket. that I fried. Right. I we think ta- we did talk about We talked about, about having problems replacing it and what we were going to do, but we didn't actually talk about what we bought. And the issue is that... If you have a inverter, it blows up the standard electronic controls for most electric blankets. Because you need square sine waves. <laughs> That's what I remember from this lecture. You need what? <laughs> square sine waves. No. Or you shouldn't have. Or it puts out square sine waves. Oh. The whole concept. What of is square... the definition of a sine wave? It's kind of wavy. Curvy. So how could you have a square one? Because it's not right. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I hope that you heard that. (laughs) What were you talking about with square sine waves? There is no such thing as a square sine wave. I never heard of it before until you said it, so I would not have made that up. No. Our inverter is not a pure sine wave inverter, so it puts out square waves. That's what it was. Okay. That means that uh, some electronic devices just plain don't like the electricity, although we've had very little problem with that overall. It runs TVs. It runs most chargers, uh, the microwave. Actually, this is one of the first things that we've had problems with. Yeah, really. And we don't usually use it on the inverter, but occasionally what happens is that uh, we forget to turn it off and unplug the RV, and the inverter kicks in, and it blows up. This is the second electric blanket that we've gone through. Yeah, bad news. So we now have a... Heat pad. Well... That tolerates square sine waves. A low-voltage heat pad. I'd call it an electric blanket, but we decided to buy instead the pad that goes underneath the head of blankets, but you could. we decided to buy the pad because you don't have to change it or mess around with it when you're changing the bed linen, and it's very uniform. You can't feel the wires. Because it's a low-voltage system operating basically off of 12-volt, although this is going to sound bad, 
Actually, it takes the inverter power and reverts it back to 12 volts. Well, no wonder I'm confused. (laughs) So the batteries kick it up to 120. I really don't like talking about electricity. It well, just but, should work. Well, I know, but everybody has problems with it, so they have to talk about I don't it. They need have to understand problems. it. I just well, want it. I know you. Oh, dear listener, <laughs> help me, please. Just make it she work. I go through this over and over. It's not that you want to understand it; it's you have to understand it. Otherwise, things like blowing up electric blankets happens. I just want it to work. And the heat pad works very well. I especially like it because we have a sleep number bed, so we are sleeping on a cushion of air. But I was giving the at times, the air is kind of cold, and so it warms you up from underneath. I like that. This has an external power supply, which is low voltage, so it, so the electric blanket runs off a low voltage, and the power supply provides uniform voltage so it doesn't blow out the... Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> Next topic. Are there, uh, is every co-pilot this bad? <laughs> Next topic. Okay. Next topic. Oh, rant and rave. Rant and rave. Where? I, I'm glad you put this topic on our agenda because it's been in the back of my mind. Since we've been home, I've been in hog heaven <sighs> because the internet is so good in our house. It's yes. not that good in our house. It's right, well, just no, no, strong, no, no. reliable, no, 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 no. fast. No, 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 no. And in campgrounds. No, 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 no. Oh. Our, no, you can't. You, our, our home internet is fabulous. 55 megabit a second. I love it. We're lucky to get one on the road. Well, why? So it's 55 times better. Why don't these campgrounds put out? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we could ask that about many people, couldn't we? <laughs> So anyway, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Wi-Fi on the road, and the, this was kind of prompted by a RV travel uh, survey. survey that f- campground was... Wi-Fi is rated as poor by most RVers. Amen. In one way or another, most of the readers who left comments said that RV park Wi-Fi was a hit and miss. Uh, said Chuck Woodbury. Some also mentioned that poor security of many of the networks kept them from using the service. Well, that's not really an issue. Uh, How would they know if it has poor security? Well, people worry about those things because they don't know. I know, but how do they know? They don't know. They worry. If it has an HTTPS, you have nothing to worry about. But they don't know that. Well, they should. We have camped in a lot of campgrounds, and only a few of them have had really good Wi-Fi. Yeah. And by really good, I mean I can stream a movie. Right. We can use the Apple TV. Only once this winter were we able to use the Apple TV to stream. Once we tried it with the satellite, and we used up the whole day's supply of data. That's why we have the satellite, is is because it is consistent, it's secure, and it works everywhere. But In a moderately pokey sort of way. it It was decent watching a movie. But because we have the limited amount of data that we can get on a daily basis, you can't use it all up on one One movie. Well, actually, it was just an hour. Have you watched The House of Cards? It was very good. We've now finished it now that we're home. That's on Netflix. If you haven't watched it, it's very it's a very good series that was commissioned by Netflix uh, as a Netflix original. So you have to stream it. And we've been waiting and waiting to watch it. But the Wi-Fi in campgrounds is really extremely variable. And the other thing and that, they have strange policies. And the other thing that irks me is understand. that very few campground owners seem to feel any ownership of the internet when you tell them that you're having trouble or ask them why it's not working. Or or if it's working. And why is this, do you suppose? They just kind of shrug their shoulders. And what does the co-pilot do? 
shrug her shoulders. <laughs> Technology? Oh, I don't know. But that's part of their business. Well, they don't know all aspects of their business. And this is an outside third-party uh, installation, I assume. Well, anyway, most of them are, even though they say they have free Internet, it's often hard to use. Frequently, by the way, you can't use it with the Apple TV because if it has a login, you can't use it with the Apple TV, which is something I learned. We could have used it probably in, a, in three or four different places, but because the Apple TV doesn't have a web browser, frequently you cannot enter in the name and the password if they have a uh, a browser front end. And because we both use laptops and <laughs> yes. iPads, when, they, when, they uh, when you're in a campground that has a little piece of paper with yes. a separate password, <laughs> we get this fistful of passwords. Or they say only one per, per RV. Unit, or, yeah. yeah, so yeah. then we have to fight about who gets yeah. it. It's just not, inc- it's inconvenient. And and where you stay in the campground can make a difference. Well, yeah, they, but that's, that's kind of understandable. But even if you go to the office where you'd expect there would be good strong signal it still is very pokey and strange so there is a good article that i'm going to recommend called rv internet and mobile wi-fi and this link will be up on the website it tells you all of the options that you have once again this is a changing and and ever moving sort of uh, object so that you never you have to keep up with this if you want to keep up with the internet uh, a lot of people use the 4G, and they're very happy with it, but once again, you're usually quite limited. I do envy those people who have unlimited uh, on internet their cell on phones, their cell yeah. phones Yeah, with tethering. It's, it's getting better. I mean, it's now good that most every campground at least advertises Wi-Fi and has Wi-Fi. Of some sort. And you can almost always at least get your email. Yeah. Except in the Yukon. Well, <laughs> in Alaska. <laughs> And I'm not very happy with Sprint, and I'm going to dump them just as soon as I can. But You're not going to rant about it? I've ranted about that enough. We always like to talk about uh, what's going on in other countries in the RVing world, and we have this article about, I'm surprised at this. 22.8 million people living in Australia, 5 million, so about a quarter of them were born outside the country. So it's really a country of immigrants, much more so than we are at this point, I think. It's a country that is about the same size as the United States, and if you were going to drive it all the way... It actually says that it would fit inside the borders If you're going to drive States. all the way around it, it's 9,000 miles, and it says nearly everyone in Australia has been RVing. That surprises me. There were 474,000 registered RVs in the country, and 85% of all people have enjoyed at least one caravanning or camping holiday. However, the ability of people to travel in RVs is complicated, he explained, because a huge selection of the country has no infrastructure, like roads or campgrounds. Yet its beauty makes it a a popular attraction. And that's absolutely true, and I will put the link up for that article, too. So uh, we thought about going to Australia to do caravanning, but we decided when we were there that it wasn't, it was just the distances were just too vast. Right. And we've had a couple of communications from our Aussies that are going to be visiting us in the United States. And whew, in a couple of weeks, it's hard to give them good recommendations about what to visit. Because there's too much And we're to, sorry that we're going to, to be missing some too. folks. Yeah. Anyway, so if you have a chance to go to Australia, I'm not sure that RVing is exactly the way to go. Well, if you were only going to do a small piece of it, like the Gold Coast, maybe. Yeah. 
you yeah. put RV. If you're just going to do... And, and there, there isn't but enough. is that the best way to do the Great Barrier Reef? Yeah. The next topic... <laughs> actually, I'm going to mention quite a few TV shows, I think. Uh, if you take a look uh, and do a search on RV, there are quite a few RV shows. Extreme RV has been quite good. Mega RVs has been quite good. And who's the rocks and music star that's coming up at the end of May? Oh, Brett Michaels? Brett Michaels is having a, a multi-series... And then Rachel Ray had a special story about helping a couple declutter a fifth-wheel tra- travel trailer. <laughs> now, um, decluttering. It looked to me like this guy is normally an expert for decluttering people's houses. Oh, yeah, well. And the principles that he used are just the same as you would use in a house. But certainly the topic is more critical in an RV, if you, especially if you're going to spend a length of time there, because it's a lot smaller than your house. And this RV was cluttered. It wasn't... Uh, one of the hoarder type of things, but boy, it, they had stuff just thrown all over. I, I don't even know how they could take a shower. They couldn't. They had clothes in there. I know. That's yeah. what I, exactly yeah. the point. So, so the principles he used are, are pretty universal if you're trying to organize stuff. Um, put, what, um, get rid of stuff you don't use. Put like with like. Um, he got a lot more clothes into their closets <laughs> by using... Oh, um, multiple hangers. Cascading multiple, hangers. Cascading. Um, is that the word? And the, ca- the caveat I would add to that being a cascader from way back is that not. over the years I have managed to uh, break just a few closet poles because when you cascade you can put she so with her many the more closet poles so that when hers goes down no these weren't just mine you put so many more clothes on the pole because you In the RV it because um they hang down. They use the down space. And they're just as heavy. And then they're heavy, and then the, the pole breaks. So and when be, the RV goes over bumps? Yeah, it's a little harder in an RV. But I think it's, it's a good way to use space. So declutter your RV. Make yourself in a more livable space. And and I also would add, as a this was a fairly large motorhome person who doesn't like clutter, I very rarely buy something unless I can think of a place where I'm going to put it. And if I end up, I with, just put it in the RV. And if I end up with no place, <laughs> I throw something away so I have a place. <laughs> Which See, is why our I just had two helicopters. RV is only under. moderately cluttered. <laughs> Because there's no clutter for me. Ah, it's only half cluttered. Yeah. So it's moderately cluttered. I see. And, of course, because we come home, we can put the clutter in the house. So there's never any clutter. Interesting report from England about RVing in Yellowstone. We always like to hear uh, how other people view the United States. And this interesting article uh, talks about a couple who came and did uh, a rental and did Yellowstone as well as some other parks. So I'll put a link to that up. That'll be fun. And Baby Boomer Industries. Five ways boomers will change the future. And we are... Early boomers. Boomers. Early boomers. Having been born in 1946, right at the beginning of the boomer. But boomers are for the next 20 years or so. And they say that we are going to make major changes in the way RVing is is taking place and the way the world works. And that's probably uh, the case. Retired Retired baby boomers are the dominant share of RV owners and industries that sell, service, and support RV travel are expected to grow. And certainly this year we've had very good statistics and reports about the finances in the RV industry. I would rephrase that slightly. I think uh, young, young retirees have often been a dominant part of the RV market, but, there are just so but many. because there's so many more boomers now, yes. it feels like a boomer thing. 
it's not that the age group has changed. It's just that there's so many more of us at that age. This comes from the Huffington Post. This could also impact the housing market as retirees frequently sell their homes to travel domestically in an RV. Watch for the RV industry to add even more creature comforts to their vehicles, including technology that helps people stay in touch with family, friends, and doctors as they move around. And certainly the technology has made that uh, much more easy in uh, the recent past. I'm thinking they could also do some things as regards living in an RV when your bones and your muscles are not as agile as they once were. In particular, I'm thinking about many RVs I've been in that have steep steps for climbing in and out. I think that's something that they need to work on. If they're going to have... Well, and all fifth wheels have that second step. Creakers. And that's, uh, steps on the inside to get up to the bedroom, and that's right. always been an issue. Back to the article. Expect the motorcycle and boat sales industry to kick up a notch, too, as midlifers hit retirement. You can never be too old to have a midlife crisis. After all, we are likely to see less choppy choppers and boats that are require less lifting and more ease of use. And that's probably the case with uh, RVs also. And better lighting, I think. And, you know, RVs we see lots of fifth wheels that have all, all, all sorts of motorized leveling systems instead of, when I get out there, you, you crank down the yeah. the front and you crank down the jacks in the back. And nowadays they're all electric or hydraulic, which is incredible. And it's not uncommon for us to see RV couples where one of them is um, in a wheelchair or has to use a scooter yeah, most of the time. And, and that seems to be getting easier and easier to yes. do as well. Uh, another uh, topic there is Untraditional retirement homes. IBIS World predicts that a new kind of retirement living for many midlifers, retirement and assisted living communities are considered a refuge of last resort. In an effort to counteract this perception, operators and builders of retirement communities are offering more modern and full-featured units that include technology. Look for larger common socialization areas and living spaces with instant voice and visual access to family and friends. There likely will be either on-site or greater access to a wider variety of medical resources. But that's not RV. That has nothing to do with RVing, but I think that RV communities are going to be catering to this type of And of offering living. support. Yeah, and, and having Wi-Fi that works. <laughs> or I think my assisted living will be on a cruise ship. Ah, even better. But, you know, we live in a gated community. Um, of geezers. Of geezers. And we like this because we could just leave our house at any time and uh, hit the road. We don't have to worry about outside maintenance, and we have good neighbors to take care of any emergencies that happen inside the house. So uh, that is a very powerful factor for us, allowing us to travel as about much as, as, much we, as we want to. Right. So there are a bunch of uh, topics here which are of relevance to baby boomers if you're interested in that article. So let's uh, hit some of the new gizmos and gadgets that we find. Or, in or resources. Or resources, right, travel. exactly. If you're an iPad or, well, actually, if you're a, a user of a smartphone, you'll find that there are five new apps from Chimani. And they make, I, that I hadn't heard of, really. No. And I just found this out uh, as a result of the birthday of uh, the, our national parks. They have uh, 14 national parks uh, apps for them, 
including Ar- Arcadia and Bryce Canyon and a bunch of them that we've just been at. We should have had Arcadia. this. Arcadia, sorry. Uh, which is a, a virtual passport tool for all the National Park Service units. Each of the National Park apps delivers constantly updated content, ranger-led event schedules, auto-touring points of interest, hiking details, restroom, restroom locations, free shuttle bus schedules, and breaking news alerts. Users can also view sunset and sunrise times for the most memorable scenic overlooks, access tide tables along the coast, review lodging options, and much, much more. So that sounds like a, some nice apps. And so I if don't you're know going to, an, they were free when I looked at them. Really? So if you're going to a national park Where do this they make summer, their money? check out the Chimani.com website and see if there's an app for the park you're going and to. And that is C-H-I-M-A-N-I.com. But, of course, you will find that link on our website. I wonder how many times I forget to put the links up on the... Don't people yell at you when you forget? Uh, not very often. Uh-huh. So I've been... I don't know. I guess I'm doing pretty good. I don't know. <laughs> Nobody goes Nobody's there. clicking. <laughs> Nobody's trying to click. Oh, is anybody out there? We love to hear from our listeners, and we do hear from every month. We hear from some people. We are always interested in the... Uh, economy of uh, RVing, and we have now a custom-built high-end camper of the teardrop design um, from Oregon Trailer. How can a teardrop be high-end? It's made out of stainless steel. It looks it looks like a a mini uh, airstream. <laughs> Yeah. It's well, cool. I think they put in high-end components. It's cool looking, but I think if I, I was... it's very expensive. If I had the money to buy that, I would This is a very shiny buy... looking, and it's being pulled behind a mid-sized SUV. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's actually very small, and that's at OregonTrailer.net. KOA, the ever-present Campgrounds of America, is offering their 2013 Campgrounds directory available as a PDF file, and that's something we really like. This is the first time we're traveling overseas, and I'm not taking any paper. No, I'm not either. Nothing to read. No. Nothing. All of our reservations and stuff are all all done. Well, that's it. You can download new ones. Yeah, but on a cruise ship. But now you can use your KOA uh, campground directory directory on my iPad. On your iPad, which is very cool. The 1924 Road Atlas from Rand McNally. And, and of course, they're celebrating 2014. So did not identify roads by number. Instead, roads were listed by their names, such as Roosevelt Highway. In fact, the Atlas depicted zero miles of interstates, as those roads did not exist yet. Today's Atlas contains more than 47,000 miles of interstates, included in the 160,000 miles of highways. Their their old atlases did not include an index for cities or any other places. If you didn't <laughs> you know imagine? where a town was, you would have to page through the atlas till you found it. Let's see, yellow. The current atlas features eight pages of detailed index with ten, tens of thousands of points of interest, including all the national parks, in addition to place names. Of course, the 1924 one did not appear in color. The atlas was printed only in two colors, dark blue and red. The first four-color edition was printed in 1960. Today's map use color to indicate the classification, terrain, city size, among other descriptive details. Now, the 2014 one you can get as an app for your iPad. And if you get the Rand McNally GPS app, it has the Atlas built in, which is very cool. And I have actually found it to be quite useful. But if you just like the maps themselves, and the nice thing about it is, is that you can expand and contract them, you know, with the typical finger gestures, with the pinching, so that you can have all the details you want right there at your fingertips and not have to have it printed. 
So I read an article in a magazine called RV Business, and this was an interesting article because I also read a couple of uh, overseas vanning magazines, caravanning magazines, and we've mentioned many times that when we've been to Europe that the RVs are very different looking than they are in the United States, and there's an abundance of them. I mean, it's not like it's not popular at all, and I couldn't figure out exactly why those companies haven't started to export them into the United States, and I'm happy to report that it looks like this might be happening with the, the, the demand for very economical, small RVs. Fuel efficient. Fuel efficient that you're going to see some modified European type of RVs come into the United States. Thanks to Ford and Fiat who are bringing in new chassis. Now, we have seen tons of the Sprinter type of chassis made by Mercedes, and that has become extremely popular among a lot of people who are looking at smaller RVs. But the other manufacturers have have been reluctant to introduce these uh, smaller chassis, but Ford and Fiat are both going to be bringing one in, and that's going to allow RV makers to build on these chassis small, fuel-efficient RVs that may be uh, of interest to a lot of families. And if you take a look at uh, this article, well, you can't know. Yes, you can. I put a link here. I hope you can see this article, but they they show you some of the chassis. The thing that, that is most bothersome to me is that they there's not an rv maker in europe that makes a slide well to me that's kind of an essential and why is that because the roads are smushy no why would that make any difference (laughs) but no it's because of the weight heavy so it eats up more gas because the campsites are smushy well, that could be. Space well, is a problem in Europe. Space is a big problem. So uh, anyway, I can see a lot of Americans uh, really getting into these little bit bigger ones. They're not, not the small, teeny uh, van-like uh, RVs that, that we've often associated with uh, Europe. So that'll be interesting to see how that develops. And while and we're as on I the topic said, of... They, they were at the Tampa Super Show this, this uh, winter. I wish I was there to see it. And while we're on the topic of European camping, we want to recommend <laughs> to you um, a commercial for a Dutch RV insurance company. It's like Geico. absolutely hilarious. <laughs> enough, enough said. You just got to watch it. So we, we put the link on the website, but it's uh, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Um, and, of course, we don't want to forget a little bit more technology. Uh, we have here new flashlights. Now, have you bought a new flashlight lately? No. How old is your flashlight? Old. <laughs> When have I used a flashlight? Once in a while I use a headlight. A headlamp. You don't use your bear light? I don't think I have. <laughs> you have a nice new LED bear light in your RV. Well, that's a wonderful thing, but and I have Explain what used a bear it. light is. <laughs> a light big enough to chase away a bear. <laughs> ah. And that's tough with an LED. Uh, I hope that you have thought about replacing most of your flashlights with LEDs. Not only do the batteries last a lot longer, but you can have smaller batteries and bigger light. LEDs weren't that bright uh, fairly recently, but in more recent times, they have gotten a lot brighter so that you can have a very powerful LED flashlight that really uh, is useful. Plus, they have these nice ones that have 27 LEDs that provide a nice wash of light. And I bought several and replaced all the old flashlights in our car, in our vehicles with LED flashlights so that they would be have the nice wash that you can turn on or you can turn on the spotlight and have long battery life and flashing red lights, LEDs, if you want to have emergency flasher lights. Am I getting something with an LED in it for my birthday? No. Oh. Not as far as I know. 
They seem to be your latest passion. Uh, I do like LEDs, and they have become much cooler recently. Well, so we'll end this with uh, an article that I found that talks about who owns an RV. Did you know? No. The average RVer has a median income of $62,000. And is 35 to 54 years of age. Well, that group has posted the largest gains gains in ownership. 70% of the owners who said they plan to buy it. They plan on buying a replacement someday. 14% new entrants who said they would buy an RV with one-third of them wanting a new one. As opposed to used. Yes. Uh 82% of the U.S. RVs are produced in northern Indiana. That's really a lot, isn't it? Yeah. 24,000 people employed in the manufacture of RVs and supply products in northern Indiana. So that's, uh, that's from the Billings Gazette. So that takes us through the end of this month, and we will be uh, sailing the high seas. Uh, hopefully we'll be getting email, but we hope to hear from you, our listener. We won't be sailing on carnivals, so hopefully the, <laughs> the, there will be no need for rescue. Oh, poor carnival. <laughs> We've actually sailed a carnival a couple of times. Yeah. And had a decent time. Yeah, but it wasn't the best time. But oh, poor carnival! So we'll hope. Yes, and we hope to make it across the ocean six days without any incidents without, or without being any rescued. Incidents, right. So, dear listener, keep in touch, and we will be posting this uh, while we are at sea. Uh, we will have limited internet, but next month we will be back with another episode of the RV Navigator. And until then, we hope to see you on a deck chair near us. Fun talking to you. Bye, Bye for now. now.